Welcome to the Human Design Collective podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. If you're interested in deeper guided study, we'll be offering a special workshop for mental projectors only on December 19th. Rave ABCs begins November 10th and Rave Cartography in January 2022 with John Cole and Amy Lee. For more information on courses and workshops, you can go to courses.humandesigncollective.com. Today, we bring you Isis Silver, a 6'2 splenic manifester. As a world traveler and former legal professional, her adventures led her to human design in 2015. Now living peacefully in Baja, Mexico, she is a certified Living Your Design guide who supports diverse individuals in the messy and unpredictable process of deconditioning. Today, we discuss type and aura, as well as relationship dynamics for manifestors specifically. We hope you enjoy her playful optimism and deep dedication to the exploration of design. Her next course, a special winter living your design workshop for manifestors only, begins November 23rd. You can find her at www.uniqueadvisor.design. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. We're really happy to have you on the show today, Isa, to just talk with us about your experience as a manifester and the work you're doing these days and wherever the conversation may take us. So welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here today. I thought we'd start with this quote that's been kind of floating around Facebook and that you actually brought to us. Uh, when we first met you a couple months ago, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to read it for us. I sure can. <clears throat> this is from Ra Uruhu, and he says, if you can't live by your type, quit human design. Do me a favor, because that's the only thing really worth experimenting with. You already have, all of you, loads of information. You can keep collecting information. That's okay. But if you live out your type, that information crystallizes in a way that you can't even imagine. Nice. I'm wondering if you could start by sharing with us how that quote hits you, what it sparked in you when you first read it. Well... The informa- the getting lost in the information thing was a, my trap and most people's trap. And I, I, I think we're all, we, we all love information. We have different relationships with it. When he talks about the information crystallizing, I had a, a good three or four <laughs> years where I, I couldn't say that it crystallized in my experience. It, it all kind of made sense, but I didn't get to start to understand what a motor to the throat really means uh, until some years of understanding, well, I have this authority and it's in my body and I need to, I need to be using that. And it's only momentarily, but to add all those together, that takes a while (laughs) for me, at least it did this crystallization he talks about. So when I look at the Facebook scene, for example, And there's so much information being passed around and my mind gets right into it. And I like to debate information and I, and I like to see different angles of it. And I usually see weird things other people don't, and I can be wrong and whatever, but, but none of that interaction on Facebook around the content like that has anything to do with me being a manifester. (laughs) And, and in fact, it's probably distracting me like moment by moment 
from being a splenic manifester because I'm up in my thinking head instead of in my body. If I take that even further out and think about types, I think, okay, projectors can be talking to each other about the system and that's cool. Projectors talking to each other about the system doesn't help them in their mundane life where they need to be recognized and they they need to be clear that they they can't perform in the same way that other types. Meanwhile, generators also, they they can't be leading with their mind. They need to get in touch with that sacral authority. So if we're not trying to do the most basic thing of type, I don't see what human design is for except another knowledge system. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head a, a moment ago when you said that if this information is staying up in our mind, that's our experience of it. We're just looking at the knowledge and discussing the knowledge. If it doesn't get into our, our lived experience, if we don't embody it on a certain level, it's almost like it has to kind of filter down into our being. And then we start realizing that what seems to be kind of a, you know, a logical and abstract system is actually describing our experience in the world we have to come into that relationship with it ourselves. And I think that might be kind of what Ra's pointing at with this information crystallizing when it translates down into our lived experience. And it goes beyond just being a bunch of really interesting information that we can discuss and explore. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about now the history of how this was shared in the past as recently as 2006. Maybe that wasn't so recent. Living Your Design, the basic foundational course was taught in Aura and Ra was saying, teach it type for type. So in other words, if you're going to be a generator learning, living your design, you're going to interact with a room full of generators to get your information. And so that was an Aura and a frequency experience from the beginning, you know, at at that level and how different it is now that people can come into human design, not because they met another aura that told them about human design, you know, not the physical fractal, but because of something that happened in the online environment, the mental environment (laughs) of the internet. So we're dealing with the other end of that. I don't think Ra could have imagined this. What is type to you? Wow. Um, It's it's like a difference between um, different kinds of sailboats, we could say. Okay. So it's like the geometry of the aura body, if that's making sense. So when I think about it, I'm thinking, uh, you know, somebody who's new to sailing, they look at, at sailboats and they all just have a sail and a boat and, and they go, you know. But then when you learn about sailing, you, you get to notice, okay, well, if it's that shape of sail, that's the kind of sail that's going to go like slowly around the world. Or if you have a, a, you know, a boat shaped like this with this shape of sail, then it's designed to move really fast for short periods of time and then be dried and cleaned and put away in careful storage. So those are like different kinds of, um, different kinds of boats and they're made for different kinds of sailing. When I think about type now, I think about the generator type having a certain power. You know, it's got the sacral power and a projector has a different kind of aura. So there's these different ways these vehicles move. And if a projector is trying to move through the world like a generator, well, we know that story. The thing about sailboats is that some of the most important parts of the boat is under the water. You can't see it, but yet it tremendously affects how the boat moves in the water. So to me, that's like seeing the design, like the red part of the body graph. 
So if you're only judging a boat by what you're seeing above the water, the personality, then you're not getting really how it moves. I love that analogy because it speaks to what I have seen more and more over the years is that we have this way of communicating with each other that gets so mental and so semantic in the way we have conversations and the content of our conversations. But underneath that, there are these energy mechanics and dynamics that we are all sensing and reacting to whether or not we realize it. That's where getting to understand what the body graph is showing us, getting to understand what type of vehicle we are each in, and then how we're affected by and how we affect others. It really does give us a window into something that goes beyond what we're often talking about or paying attention to on the surface. I love hearing that. And I am aware, or at least my mind thinks that you too, as projectors, have a lot more sensitivity to that happening in humanity than, than manifest or me. <laughs> okay. So I'd be happy to hear about how you see that manifestors don't see that. But I guess for me, I got to initiate a, you know, relating with projectors that are telling me about this. So this is the richness for me is that you can tell me that. So please tell me more. (laughs) What do you see about what manifestors don't see about themselves? Well, I think the thing that strikes me most is something that John and I talk about often in classes and, and on this podcast, which is that all of us, no matter what type we are, we often take our definition for granted. And it means that whatever mechanics we have going for us that are so deeply wired through our bodies, through our consciousness, and that come so naturally to us, we often take for granted those things that we're naturally endowed with, which then becomes a reason why we can tend to not value ourselves. Many of us tend to not value what comes naturally to us. So if you take a generator, for example, many generators don't really realize what a tremendous gift and contribution and resource their energy is <laughs> because they're often distracted with trying to deal with their frustration or figure out what to do with that energy. But they almost take for granted the fact that for those of us who don't have that energy, it's a tremendous resource and it's a tremendous potential contribution to anything that they're a part of. So I think many of us, I mean, I can see it in myself, the way I can, I can often take for granted my own mind, the, how consistent my mind is, or the way I can articulate things. I think for any of us, wherever we have definition, we can tend to take it for granted. So then on the one hand, we may not truly value it. And on the other hand, we may also not realize that it's something that other people don't have, and therefore it affects them. They may mm-hmm. be amplifying what we come into the room with. and we don't understand why we may not even realize that we're the source of that. It's a fascinating thing to get to see play out in relationship and then to get to see ourselves in that way. Oh, this is what I bring. This is actually an endowment and it has an effect on my environment and on the people I interact with, no matter what type we are. And I think it's further complicated by this type envy that we see out in the world where you've got manifestors wanting to be projectors or thinking that they're, the grass is greener somehow over on the projector end of things. You certainly have projectors and generators running around trying to be manifestors all the time. And I think that further confuses it both for the individual and for the others in relationship. 
you can kind of see why why we need something like design and strategy and authority and, and a good understanding of type to kind of bring things back into a more natural alignment. I'm thinking about the manifestors that are not willing to look at impact, at their impact. This is something you were saying, Amy, got me onto this, but this wasn't an easy question for me to deal with for a long time. I didn't have an immediate sense of, about this. In my mind, impact was only some kind of culturally, socially, you know, measurable achievement, for example. You know, that's what I think a lot of manifestors think impact is that. It's some kind of graded achievement. My understanding now is something more like, and I'll, I'll ask you to comment on this because you can feel it more than I can. But now my understanding is more like manifestor can't help but have an impact wherever she's going. And she's not very set up to be aware of that impact. And if anybody notices it to the point they could say something about it, they're probably not going to because of the exact aura that caused the impact is one that says, don't tell me I just impacted you. <laughs> so observing the manifestor impact and the manifestors observing their own impact is that that sounds like it's the similar to taking your definition for granted. Mm -hmm. Could you articulate that better than I can? <laughs> yeah. No, I think the way you said it is perfect. And I would agree. I think looking at our impact is difficult for many of us, but yes, I would say for many manifestors, I'm actually curious about how that question affected you when you came into design. You know, when you present a manifestor with the notion that no matter what you do or what you say or how you interact, there's an impact to your energy. There's an impact to your, your presence and your existence when you're in the presence of anyone else. So, and like you said, it's not necessarily about what you achieve or what letters you have or what you've accomplished in life. It's a, an actual visceral uh, felt energetic experience that happens. That's what impact is about. And that's what most of us can feel, whether we realize it or not, when you're in the presence of a manifestor aura, there's an energetic impact that it's having. I'm curious about for you, what it was like to recognize that. Because like you said, most people don't necessarily want to look at their impact or don't even realize that they're having an impact. So if you say to a manifester, hey, you're here to learn about one of your core questions in life is to get to examine what is my impact? How did that question affect you when you first came into this? I'm trying to remember if anybody actually put that question on me. And I don't remember my first LYD teacher doing that. And the other two LYDs that I observed, you know, weren't, weren't about me specifically, but I observed them. And the question was there a little bit, but it manifestors weren't teaching that. So to be honest, it's been because of me getting into guide training and preparing to share this with other manifestors that I, I've really gotten into understanding it. So it was missing for all along before is what I got to say. And so I'm still, I'm still working with that. You know, I've gone through the thinking around things like 
what was it like for my family? What was it like for my mother, you know, having the manifestor baby? And it was not an easy birth. And the next years were not easy at all. (laughs) And leaving the family, you know, I had two sisters and mom and dad. And so like when I went away, there was a change in the household. And uh, in fact, a lot of things did change. I mean, they moved, a bunch of things changed. So I'm still working with that question. One of the benefits for me of working with the question still is that I am trusting being quiet more than ever before. Like I'm not assuming that I need to move other people with words anymore. And so that's, it's happening in, in Mexican culture and it's happening with, um, you know, Americans that are living in Mexico too. I trust my authority that's gotten me into the situation. And then I'm going to trust my authority to say something or not, but I don't mentalize that I need to try to make an impact anymore. Mm. I was trying to change things before I was trying to show the good thing. I was trying with my mind to figure out how do I, now I, I, I don't try anymore. Yeah. I love that. That awareness where it's almost like it switches over into kind of more of a passenger consciousness, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, I'm watching my impact. I'm aware of my impact. I'm seeing when, my authority moves and, and my mouth opens and, and there is an impact versus, okay, we're going to follow some sort of human design script or formula and I'm going to go out and be a manifester. It's a funny thing. It's subtle, but it's, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's what you're speaking to. It is, or yeah. 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 I just remembered too, that um, just maybe in the past year, I've have just enough human design colleagues that are like people I talk to that are in the experiment that a few of them have been able to tell me that they've been able to tell me about an impact. So that was useful. But other than that, it's everyone outside the experiment. I it's up to me to be aware and watch that. You know, I first saw it in the supermarkets, of course, like I did. Once I started hearing about it, I was like, oh, you're right. People move out of my way when I'm not trying. Yeah, I'm moving down the aisles or or something. And also I'm I'm not aware of them. I bump into people so I used to bump into people awfully because my mind was already somewhere else and my aura just you're not, you know, I didn't notice you. So I bumped into you. And so uh, anyway, my body has slowed down a little bit also. I love that you're saying that because I feel like as a mental projector, I've had the opposite experience so often. Okay. So often being in public places and it's it's literally like I could be standing right next to someone and they will just step on me or they'll just oh. walk right into me. It's like it's almost like they can't even tell there's an energy there. Interesting. But I think what's different for a projector is that if I'm standing at some distance and I'm watching someone and I'm not saying anything, but my attention is focused on them. I have many times had that experience that I've heard Ra describe where they'll suddenly turn around. You know, uh, yeah. Suddenly there's a, there's this penetrating attention <laughs> that's uh-huh. you know, poking them in some way. And people will often notice that and turn around. Uh-huh. Yeah. We all, we all have an effect. I think it's potent though, that Ra described manifestors and generators as energy types. And that even though there are many projectors who certainly have motor definition, that he didn't refer to them as energy types. You know, this came up in my thinking just the other day, and I haven't really finished that thinking. The motorized, I mean, you could have 
couple motors as a projector, right? Mm-hmm. You could have three motors. <laughs> yeah. So why is a three motor projector not an energy type? Because it still requires recognition. My sense is that he was speaking to how we're oriented to move through the world. Going back to yeah. your your sailboat analogy, which I really like for type, because I think type is telling us something about our movement through life, how we're designed to move through life as yeah. a vehicle, right? And you've got manifestors and generators who are here. You know, a generator is here to basically know themselves through how they're using their energy in the world. Manifestor. Mm-hmm is here to have awareness of their impact through bringing that, that motor to the throat. Mm-hmm. And I think with projectors and, and you could say with reflectors, it's not quite like that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you want to yeah, add more? I think it's that the strategy is not led by the energy. So even yeah. if you are a projector with yeah. energy definition. Yeah. There you go. It's not led by the energy. It's led by recognition. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. I'm wondering if you can speak to this piece around manifestors being an energy type, but not having this sacral motor. Ah, yeah. (laughs) 99% of manifestors are never going to know that they don't have a sacral motor. And and so it's been a huge thing for me to, to get to understand this. The way that I'm thinking about it these days is that if I had a defined sacral, then I have this access to this life force and I have this instrument on board that tells me whether or not that the energy is available for the particular thing. Okay. So, and, and it can't come from my mind. I'm talking about if I'm a generator, it's not coming from my mind. It's like life somehow presents me with something and my onboard sacral says yes or no. And And then that energy is regenerative. That's the thing. Generator uses up energy, goes to sleep, wakes up, has more energy. Okay. Let's take this over to say uh, an emotional manifester. Okay. So not my experience, but my understanding there is that, you know, they have a motor directly to the throat and it's a really powerful motor. They have time if they're paying attention to their authority. They have time to feel out whether or not their motor, their emotional motor, is available for that particular thing that manifestor would initiate. It's not renewable, though, per se. So in the sense that they use their authority, they're they're having time to find out if their motor is really going to match up with that. Me as a splenic manifestor, my motor is in my root. and. If I'm really following my authority, then there is no nothing in me that measures whether or not I have the energy to fulfill something like in the moment versus in the future. You know, this is a really hard thing for me as a splenic manifester, figuring out, okay, well, if my if I've got a yes to do this right now, does that mean that I can do this sustainably, you know, day to day for weeks at a time, you know, does this mean I could do this every Tuesday? I'm learning about these kinds of commitments from splenic manifester. When I didn't understand I was a splenic manifester, when I just thought that I was like a great, great achiever and I had all these, you know, academic achievements to show that I did these things, then I was just running on all kinds of other fuel. I was running on coffee and my generator husband and generator parents and generator coworkers and everything else. And so it wasn't like I really knew the difference. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. between what came out of me splenically and how much energy I have for it and the other commitments I made because I'm an open ego and I had to make promises to <laughs> prove my value, things like that. I don't think manifestors can understand what they can really do until they understand what their motor is and how their motor works. And even then, I don't know what to tell you about, you know, how it happens down the line. You know, Ra had his ego to back up. Well, that was his only motor, actually. Mm -hmm. Think about it. My sense is it's it's a lot more stronger motor than the root. But then again, Ra started saying towards the end, wow, the root really impresses me. This was the one. And I love what you're saying about this difference between having an energy as a manifester that has a capacity to initiate, begin an action on something, but Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily know if it has the energy to then sustain the impact of that initiation. Whereas a generator has this regenerative relationship with the activities they're involved in. Very different energy dynamic. Because for me as a projector, I can often really feel what it's like to be in a room with a sacral motor. So if Mm -hmm. I'm in a room with a generator, I can feel the way that enlivens me. Or even if I'm in in the room with a manifester who's got root definition, I can Mm -hmm. feel how that can give me fuel that my system is going to automatically be able to absorb and amplify. But I'm curious about what it's like as a manifester with this more closed aura to be in a generator world, is it really about the amplification or is it about a certain kind of conditioning pressure to sort of imitate the generator way of being because that's most common? Ah, that's a nice question. Um, I think I can answer that only because of how I've lived alone here for a while. I would say before I was aware of human design, when I was like in the the world being a professional and and so forth, I think I was getting along with the generator game. It was, yeah. But now living alone, I have to choose to leave my house and go somewhere and interact with Nora, right? And so I'm pretty aware now, like, you know, I don't really need a cookie. But I do want to go interact with that lady who bakes the cookies. I like how I feel after I interact with her. And, you know, does she have a 59.6 or does she have a 214 for me or what? I don't know, but I I know it's one of those and I'm going to buy the cookie anyway, you know, just, just to do that. Do you notice that you get jazzed or you get energy from interacting with the sacromotor, from interacting with generators? It can go different ways. Sometimes I can feel like, intruded upon. Yeah, it it can be different. I think it's related to me initiating it or not. I'm not sure, but it can feel both ways. Yeah. If I choose it, I mean, I'm just really aware living alone in recent times, I'm getting up to go interact with that generator. You know, I'm going to go visit that friend right now. I know that I'm going to feel different when I get out of that. That's really a rich experience for me, by the way, to get to notice that. I'm I'm really liking this part of, of my growing awareness right now. <laughs> I'm starting to guess like channels of, you know, the Mexicans that I interact with. Like, I think I like that part of you. I bet you have it anyway, but that's just my mind having fun with the mechanic. Yeah. I think this also speaks to the prevalence of generator conditioning. And if we look at that in the context of a manifester who is either trying to be a generator or being conditioned to respond 
and to always be available with their energy, not having good awareness of, of energetic boundaries or when enough is enough. And you end up in a situation that's kind of opposite of what I think you're describing, where you're actually initiating an interaction or you're, there's a movement that's, that's coming from within you. If a manifester is more or less operating as a not self-generator, that can play into this dynamic that y'all are discussing. And it can end up in what is sometimes referred to as like a collapsed manifester or a manifester that doesn't understand their impact and they don't initiate anymore. And they basically they're so exhausted from running around responding all the time that they don't have any energy or any anything left over to operate as a manifester in the world. That came up when we were talking in in Austin, yeah, a while ago. And I've thought about that quite a bit since. I'm going to say that the majority of of manifestors that are, well, it's just, it's very, very prevalent what you're describing. If, and the way I see it is that if a manifestor is responding, they might have some energy from their root or their ego or something, but it's not a regenerative one. So I don't know how long that's going to last, you know? And the manifestor collapse that you mentioned, I, I think that's what a lot of women who are mothers, manifestor mothers are going through because, you know, raising children takes a lot of energy and there's a lot of responding to do when you have, <laughs> you know, young children. I mean, there's no way around that. You know, Absolutely. if you're a mother, you got to respond to the baby diaper, whatever. So they get used to just grinding grinding with their energy. And maybe it's, you know, maybe they're using the their generator baby's sacral energy or, you know, all, all non-sacral mothers go through this. I'm assuming it's really similar. But with the manifestors, I, I'm assuming that that means that they don't assume they could initiate the way that they hear about manifestors initiating because they're exhausted. And so nothing, nothing can come uniquely out of their authority when they've gotten in a pattern of grinding out and energy that they don't have. You know, how do you get out of that as a manifestor mother? I'd love, I'd love to hear from more manifestor mothers. I've, I've heard it from at least a few that have started applying. Like, okay, they started communicating with their generator children, like their generators, and and informing them, mommy doesn't have any energy for that right now. Would you like to? <laughs> Things <laughs> like that, and and it's working apparently. So, could you tell us a little bit? There's a theme that we talk about a lot, that we see a lot in relation to manifestors around initiating in relationship and rejection. (laughs) Do you have some, some awareness about that you could share? Well, sure. What I can say from my experience is that from experience and from education, any relationship that a manifester didn't initiate from his or her authority is, is questionable. And that seems kind of weird at first because it seems like, oh, we're all humans, you know, like, you know, we all, we meet other humans, right? Okay. Well, but did you meet them being a manifester? Did you meet this person because you decided to go to this place under your authority? Or did you meet this person because your business had a cocktail party and you got to talking and this person talked to you and then they became a contact and then, and now this person's inviting you. And is that a correct relationship for that manifester? Well, my sense is that over time, over deconditioning, they're going to figure out, oh, actually, no relationship that I didn't initiate is really correct for me. And those relationships just start falling away in the deconditioning process. The rejection issue, I read about this before I even understood it really well, I think. Yeah, if you're the manifester that 
can only be the one to correctly initiate it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a relationship. It doesn't mean it's going to be what you thought it was going to be. You know, it might just be that you're going to have a great conversation at the park bench and that's it. If you think you know what the relationship is getting into, like then you're either going to be disappointed with, you know, your mental expectation or you're get, and or you're going to be rejected and you just have to deal with it. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't feel good. I mean, I remember one time I made an invite I invited someone into something and it was right after right after I made this invitation and it was all correct that way. I had this overwhelming sense of oh fuck, he's going to reject me. And like two years later, that rejection came. <laughs> it's like I knew it was going to happen and it happened anyway, and it still sucks. That's the only way the manifestor is going to know if it's a real relationship or not, or a real relating. I don't want to lock in the word relationship, but I like the word relating more because that is honest about the fact that you're only relating when you're relating. And unless you've like put a ring on it or some contract or something, it's not a, a fixed relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's something that all of us manifestors can understand better is that we're initiating relatings <laughs> and, and then we'll see what that relating is about. And, and maybe we're the ones that take it to the next level of relating, but mm-hmm. two sides of the coin. I love that you said that. I think that's a really fascinating probe for any manifestor uh, or this statement you made that any relationship or any interaction that you didn't initiate may be very questionable in Mm -hmm. terms of whether or not it's really right for you. Mm -hmm. That is um, a massive invitation to experiment (laughs) with, I think. (laughs) Okay, cool. I hope more hear that. We could relate this to anger too. I'm I'm imagining that a lot of manifestor anger that's like kind of a more day-to-day kind of anger has to do with interacting with people that just aren't correct. You know, these people are trying to tell you what to do. They're trying to tell you how to be They're They're controlling you in some way. And so if you didn't invite them to control you in some way or give you that feedback, you know, like, like a wise manifester might do invite somebody to give them feedback. <laughs> um, but if you didn't, then your chemistry, your manifestor chemistry is going to say, shut up. You're not supposed to be in my life. Well, Okay, manifestor, be responsible now. Is this person really correctly even in your day? It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, type, where it seems like strategy and authority in a manifestor initiating or informing is what correctly guides our vehicle through space in that movement through the world. It's like you're saying, Isa, where you could end up in relationships that just aren't correct for you. That's not a use of strategy and authority if you're not initiating or you're not informing and operating as moving through the world as a manifester. And so you end up in the wrong places with the wrong people. Then you're going to get resistance. And then there's the anger. We kind of wonder, you know, what happened? Why is this not working out? Or, you know, our mind will come up with some reason for it all. We can see how it plays out for all the different types that we each have our own sort of pain, (laughs) that our own sort of particular generalized pain that tends to go with our aura function. Right. Yes, exactly. With your aura function. So I was just thinking about this, the 
the momentary uh, anger of the manifester for being with the wrong person. Well, I bet projectors get lots of experiences of like, dude, I'm with the wrong person. This person, I'm like, you're not being recognized, but you wanted some energy or you wanted some attention. You know, something happened that got you into that situation. <laughs> okay, I'm seeing your heads nodding. So it's, it's a deep and massive theme for projectors. And and yeah. when projectors plug into a relationship where we we go into something, we tend to go way in, and it can be really hard to to extract ourselves to get out or to to uh-huh. end the relationship. Um, there are a lot of things that come into play. So yeah, you're you're really pointing at kind of a big theme for projectors. Well, now I'm tempted to ask this question and we'll see. I have heard some different things from projectors about getting out of related relationships or situations. Is there anything that you can share in the context of this conversation to projectors that might hear it about leaving relationship situations? How do you do that on your own? Like, hmm, maybe I'm lost in the question. For example, I'm thinking if I had, if I had a, a projector friend, a girlfriend, say, and we were close enough and she was in a relationship with someone, it would be nice if if she knew that I was open to her talking to me about that, you know, like having someone to soundboard about that with. But being a projector alone in the experiment, knowing that, okay, I got invited into this relationship and it doesn't feel good right now, but I don't know how to get out you know, to really answer it, it, we're going to have to look at the uniqueness of the individuals and the design, and there can be certain thematics or characteristics that play into it. But generally speaking, I think it's a hard thing to do for projectors alone, that it's Mm -hmm. going to involve the other. And that could look like someone opening a door for them or basically (laughs) kicking them out. And oftentimes there are some, some real world I guess, concerns like, you know, energy and materials get intertwined. There's a certain kind of interdependency in these relationships. And what sounds easy on paper, like just leave, isn't so easy in in actuality. Yeah. And the energy dynamics, I think about that as well. I mean, manifestors being an energy type, but we don't have sacral power either. And so, I mean, I can imagine, you know, female uh, manifestors and projectors Technically being in, you know, at some levels in a similar position, I don't know, maybe that's not comparable, but I'm just thinking about the intertwinedness. I think it speaks to the thing that is often said about projectors, which is that we often need to be invited into and out of relationship. What I have noticed often for myself, for better or worse, and in many other projectors that I've seen is that oftentimes there may be an awareness there or bitterness that's been growing over time. And this sense of this relationship isn't correct for me, whether that's a partnership or a family member or a friendship, there can be this sense of this isn't right for me, but there isn't always the energetic capacity to deal with it or to address it. Yeah, exactly. The energetic capacity. Mm -hmm. And so then sometimes it takes either a really compelling invitation coming from somewhere else Mm -hmm. that will get the projector out of that dynamic. You can often see people who who get in sort of serial relationship situations where they actually can't seem to leave one relationship until a new one comes in that kind of invites them, gives them the energy to go in a different direction, or until the other addresses the projector directly. And it could be something as small as 
you know, you could see a projector in a relationship for a long time who kind of knows on some level that it's not working, but doesn't seem to be able to correct it or address it or get out of it. And then at some point, the other person turns to them and says, Hey, I want to talk about our relationship. And sometimes that's, that's enough energy right there for the projector then to say, yeah, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore, (laughs) but it, it can often take another to invite them out of it, or at least provide the energetic capacity to get out of it. And like you said, John, I think that can vary depending on what kind of uh, mechanics you have going on as a projector. But yeah, I think oftentimes it takes another invitation or being invited out. I was just imagining myself, what if I was this on-call manifestor friend for projectors who needed to get out of their relationships? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? oh, in, no. thir- in 30 minutes, I can shock you enough. Right. <laughs> it's like 1-800-DIAL of relationship killer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe there's two people in this conversation that <laughs> could be in the relationship killer service. There was a question that I wanted to ask you about your observations of manifestors. So before you were in human design, you didn't you didn't have an explanation for this other kind of human called the manifestor, but you probably had some manifestors around in your life and you've looked now you've had their charts. And then you've had some years in the experiment and in education about manifestors. So I'm curious if you can if you want to describe before human design, these people you saw did you have a certain un, uh, impression? And then because you learned about their mechanics, you are seeing them really differently now. In your personal understanding of these people that you knew before HD, these manifestors before and after, can you describe what that was like for you to learn about that type? I could say a little bit about that. And I could go back pretty far once I learned about human design, I started putting everyone's charts into uh, the software, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I had been doing astrology before, so I had collected a lot of birth data over the years. So I had decades of birth data that I had never plugged into MMI. And so I was running through a bunch of old charts, plugging in people that I knew. And I find out that one of my high school girlfriends, who I dated for a couple of years, was a manifester. And it was really interesting to look back and reframe that experience with the benefit of understanding the manifestor type or, you know, having that framework. I remember at the time that there was something that was interesting or different about the way she interacted with me, at least, or my experience of the interaction. And what kind of comes up is there was something a little bit impenetrable with her. And I can kind of even see, you know, what we described as the repelling aura in that a little bit. So that's just kind of a quick anecdote for, you know, looking back and just, you know, reframing something that was way earlier than design coming into my life. And then I can say now, you know, I can often feel into people's energy before I have their type to some degree. I can Mm -hmm. kind of get a sense like, okay, this person might be a manifester. You know, I, I hesitate to to make any sort of blanket statement if I don't have a chart in front of me. But I I do kind of just watch what comes up and and watch the energetics. But knowing that someone's a manifester and having their design, it does change the way I interact with them. It it just switches something. And then I don't really even have to think about it so much. It's like once I've kind of taken that in, if I know I'm dealing with a manifester versus a projector, it's going to be a very different type of interaction. 
I'll just kind of leave it at that. It d- definitely plays into it. I'll just mention, I think my high school boyfriend was a projector. We were yeah, together for a lot of it. And part of why I think that now is, you know, I've had more generator boyfriends than anything, but I don't have this ability to like lay back and relax with the generator boyfriend, even if, even if he's a super mellow guy. And the whole point is there is an energetic intrusion, so to speak. Yet if I'm, if I'm kicking it with another projector where there's a, an openness there. So I, uh, I do think I recognize that difference. What about manifestors who have projector channels? That's a whole nother topic. It's been talked about, you know, in various places lately, and we've talked about it. When we talked about it in Austin, I heard something from you, Amy, that I hadn't heard from anybody else. And it was something like, well, let's see. I don't know if I can rephrase what you said so well, but I do want to point out for the sake of this discussion here that we've got manifestors who have direct manifesting channels. They're coming straight out of the solar plexus to the throat or an ego to the throat. My understanding is that that's a really different frequency to interact with than a manifestor who is made of projected channels, which is pretty much everything else. There are some manifestors who are talking as if those projected channels need to be invited. And I'm hearing from you, Amy, that that is a kind of confusing from an auric energetic perspective to be faced with a manifestor who has a manifestor aura that you're feeling, but who is not initiating out of it. I don't know how to say this better, but can you describe for me what you see in that situation? Yeah, I think it shows that there's a nuance there between the difference of having a, a direct manifesting channel versus having a motor make it to the throat through projected channels. But either way, the aura is still a manifestor aura and the function of informing and the impact of the energy for me on the receiving end is still quite similar. It's different flavors of an impact, but it's, it's still an impact. It's still an energy that's there to have an impact on the other. Where I've heard some manifestors say, well, if my channels are projected channels, then I need to be invited to have an impact. It kind of made me laugh the first time I heard that because my experience was, no, I can feel it before you even open your mouth that you've got a manifestor aura. I can sense the energetic impact potential that's there. So I don't necessarily feel more room to invite you or that I should invite you to have an impact. The moment you open your mouth or do something, or even just your presence in the room, it's going to have an energetic impact. Kind of like you were saying, this sort of waking up as a manifester to the fact that it's not just about what you do and say. Your presence and your energy itself, your aura itself, is acting on the environment around you in some way. So I don't know if that's what you remember from our conversation. I don't remember exactly. Well, it it is what I remember um, because I can't remember other times when somebody has told me that somebody who's deep enough in the experiment and has mechanical knowledge, you know, and has personal experience to say, I can feel the difference and your impact isn't any lesser because it's made of these projected channels. And to have your observation, because 
I'm just going to assume you're better observing me than I am at observing you. <laughs> you're designed to observe other people and I'm not. So <laughs> it's like the manifestors are trying to reduce their impact by waiting for an invitation as if, as if they're not already present. What you've informed me about is you're just already present as a manifester and it's confusing to the other person if you're not taking the, the helm, so to speak. Yes, yeah. I, I would say that. I think recognition is a very important piece, mm-hmm. but this is something that I think projectors and manifestors with projected channels, everyone could really learn about. Having a projected channel, I would say, if you're not a projector. So okay. having projected channels as a generator or as a manifester is, I would say, not so much about invitation necessarily, but about recognition. Yeah. And those mm-hmm. are two different things. Yeah. So mm-hmm. recognition is the other can see and acknowledge something in you. Mm-hmm. Invitation is they're explicitly asking you to participate with them in some way. And for projectors to be correct in major interactions, both of those are required. You can't really extend a good invitation if there isn't recognition first. So recognition is first. So I would say for a manifester with those projected channels, recognition is important, but that doesn't mean your action is designed to be based on someone else's invitation. Uh, Kind of like you said, I mean, that would almost go against exactly what you said earlier, which is like any interaction that you didn't initiate or any relationship that you didn't initiate is sort of questionable to interact with me. Yeah. I love what you're saying about recognition. As an interesting thought experiment, think about Ra. So Ra, manifester with projected channels. I didn't get a chance, unfortunately, to interact in Aura with Ra, but from the experiences that of others that I've heard and from what I can gather, can you imagine going up and treating Ra as a projector or inviting him into things? I mean, I think you get pretty quick feedback from that. Does he seem projector-like in any way? So this whole idea that projected channels result in basically a different type, which is essentially what we're talking about when we talk about invitation, it becomes humorous to me. Now, that said, I have had manifesto relationships in my life, many of them where they've said to me, I'd love for you to invite me to things. They're Mm -hmm. informing me. I'd love for you to let me know when you want to go out. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to know about that because I'd love to hang out with you sometimes. So you've got an open invitation to keep me abreast of your social schedule. (laughs) I'd love for you to inform me when you're available. Or or I'd love for you to share your awareness with me when you see something. Mm -hmm. So I've had manifestors do that. And that, that feels more natural to me. If I could go back to the other question you were asking about what it's like to be a projector in relationship with manifestors, just on an energetic dynamic. And when I meet a manifestor now, still, it teaches me every time something about the depth of energetic manipulation I participate in or can participate in as a projector. Because in most interactions um, or many interactions with generators, I would say, my whole system is sort of automatically feeling into the other person and using that as a way to know how to interact. And what I find out often when I'm interacting with a manifester is that I can't do that. 
I can't do that in the way that is typical for me. So mm-hmm. that's very noticeable to me often that I can't quite get inside them and work with the energetic dynamic in the same way. There's something that feels like a boundary or it feels like a, a kind of barrier that I can't work with it. It, it, it sort of is what it is. It creates a very different dynamic, which is very noticeable for me. That goes into uh, something that I understand from a different projector, uh, a guide, a 6'2". He described it something like, I can't get into the manifestor life force and grab a hold of it and guide it like I would with a generator. And so that led me to question, do do projectors really guide manifestors? And my understanding now is they definitely outer authority and there's definitely a kind of guiding that's potential there. I mean, that's happening with, with the two of you, but it's not the same thing as, as generator guiding at all. Like almost the word guide might not even be the right word because uh, my understanding as raw used the word guide as referring to projectors that it did have to do with the sacral energy that the, that the projector can guide and, you know, the ego of the manifester. I mean, are you going to guide the ego of a manifester? I I'm not saying you can't have an effect. I'm not saying that you couldn't be very valuable in what you can see about that ego manifester situation. To me, it's more on the category of outer authority Yes, with your special projector vision and less in the category of guiding because the manifestor is going to take it or leave it, you know, through whatever authority or, or mental mm-hmm. process. Do you want to say anything about manifestor education? <laughs> you educate manifestors as uh, LYD teachers, as rave cartography teachers, as rave ABCs teachers. I have an opinion about education for manifestors, but I'm curious if, if you want to share your observation of manifestors in the education experience. I think we've had a really interesting exploration of this because many of the teachers that John and I have both resonated with and spent a lot of hours studying under have been manifestors. So Mm -hmm. we've certainly experienced a lot of that effect in that direction of as projectors learning from manifestors. I think there is a kind of natural camaraderie, I could say, that might be there among projectors and manifestors as both being the less typical non-sacral beings. So there's a certain kind of natural camaraderie, I think, that can be there. But we tend to attract mostly projectors. I've come across it many times. There are certain generators and certain uh, manifestors who seem to have a strong relationship with projectors or a strong affinity for projectors in some way. It may be because they had projectors in their families or there's something about the mechanics that seems to work well for them. And I know John works with manifestors quite a lot. There's something about John's circuitry in particular, I think, that does well with manifestors. Kind of going back to the point you made earlier. I do think there is something very unique and very particular that can happen when we're exchanging or transmitting information type within our own type. And I, and we have people ask us this all the time. If I'm going to get a reading, should I get it from someone who's my same type and profile? Should I get it from someone who has a different authority? What's the difference? Of course, our general recommendation would be to 
follow your strategy and authority about that, follow your own inner knowing about that. But I think there's something special we can offer to each other from the outside. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something we can say to a manifester that you probably can't know from inside that aura yourself. But by the same token, there are things that a manifester can say to another manifester that could likely reach them in a way that we could never say because Mm -hmm. we don't live inside that energetic system. I think there's something different that can be gained in both cases. But I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Well, to be honest, what I was thinking about when I asked the question, and I hear your answer, I was thinking about how human design, right? It's a body of knowledge and it could be a way of of living as yourself. You know, it could be, right? We talked, we started talking about how awesome the knowledge and the information is, but we we also understand that knowledge is not the power. The information doesn't give you the power, it's the living it. That said, my impression is that for manifestors in particular who want to live human design, I do recommend rave ABCs and rave cartography. And I do that because when I got out of those, I looked back and said, oh my gosh, I wasted so much time <laughs> in Facebook and these other resources. And I, I didn't have enough uh, mechanics to understand the system well enough for myself. With those three classes, with those foundation classes, I think any manifester has all the information that he or she needs to really be in her authority experiment and understand other types well enough to initiate type correct communication and start making comparisons about, okay, well, I'm super individual and this person is collective. And so we're never going to vibe on a lot of things. And I can be okay with that, you know that kind of level of acceptance. Have you educated many manifestors in your courses? And do you see any difference in them, like, you know, at the end of that kind of education? We haven't had a lot of manifestors in our courses. We get a lot of projectors. And our our classes tend to be almost 50% or more projectors. I do get a fair number of manifestor clients, more than 10%. It's more about a sharing of awareness. It's kind of a, we're looking at something together. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because I'm in this kind of role of a map reader, interpreter, analyst, you know, they've come to me, they've initiated, right? They booked a session. Um, they've opened the door. They're interested in learning about this. And what I try not to do is I try not to tell anyone, especially manifestors, what to do with themselves, what to do with their <laughs> life, what yeah. you know, I'm not going to necessarily even challenge their own awareness, even if I see it differently. But I, what I will do is I will direct the person back using this system, this map, you know, as we're looking at it together and say, this is what this is saying. This is my interpretation of it. You know, I'm, I'm reading your chart and sharing my awareness. And I think part of that is just my definition, the way I tend to, to do things and filter things is there, I feel like I'm using, you could say, my will to, to lead the person back to a different experience of themselves through that interaction that they initiated or opened up. I've got a really close uh, manifester friend who, kind of like y'all were saying before, were, has really opened the door and said, hey, I'm really interested in this stuff. I would love to know more. Share your awareness, please. I'd love to talk to you about it. And I can feel energetically when that invitation is still there. And I can also feel when it closes up. And so mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a dance, but 
yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. In the manifestors that I have seen go through those foundation levels of education, I do think there's something very powerful in it. I mean, there's something very powerful in it for all of us. But if you look at projectors and manifestors and reflectors as types that are less common, you could say for manifestors and reflectors, here are two types that are, that are pretty rare. And if you're looking at projectors, you're looking at a type that is less common, not as rare, but deeply impacted by relationship. So for all three of those, I do think more education tends to be really helpful because it's often not as simple as just saying, connect with your sacral response and go have a life. There are a lot more mechanics, I think, that can be really deeply helpful to understand. And for manifestors who are lit up by that, for manifestors who are clear that that's the information, that's the awareness and understanding they want, from what I've seen, they're often very tenacious about getting that education and it's of great benefit to them. I, I am seeing this now too. There's there's more things for the non-sacrals to learn to kind of trust that they can trust their authority especially with the reflector, maybe, you know, that's really a lot to learn there. And, but I mean, for all three types, they all have their different things. Oh, okay. I'm going to have a moment of generator envy here. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> yeah. if I was just that generator, I could wake up one day and just recognize that I am this holy vessel and I don't have to think my way through my life if I let my onboard instrument work for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know that's not easy for, for, for generators, but just for a moment, I was thinking about that. And that is a big difference. But yeah, what you said about manifestors who want the education, I'm remembering now that I have been told, I mean, they're the least likely to get education. And I can see that. And I can, and I can understand why. And I'm just helpless about the fact that I was that I did pursue it. Um, I guess I just want to put it out that, that I find that just getting through the foundation courses um, means that a manifester doesn't have to consume any bullshit human design. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I just want them to have the bullshit filter so they can tell whether somebody is really selling human design that is about you becoming you or whether they're selling this product called human design now. I guess maybe that's my what I'm I want them to be able to judge for themselves. Yeah. For all people, I, <laughs> I'd say for all for everyone, I feel similarly. To me, understanding type and understanding mechanics is just the very, it's just the doorway. So don't live your life in a doorway. You know, at some point, like walk through the door and go have an experience in the world as yourself. That's that's really the point of it. So mm-hmm. the point of it is not for us all to sit on Facebook in a doorway arguing about the doorway. It's like <laughs> when you're ready, walk through, take the map that you have as a help, as a guide. But as we say all the time, the map is not the territory and nobody can explore the territory of your life for you no matter how much you talk about it or how much information you get about it. At some point, you've got to tuck that map in your pocket and go walk out the door and find out what happens for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, the, the bigger piece in education is that if you're going to pursue some kind of guidance from someone or education about the information from someone, 
it's probably most beneficial if that person has been not just staring at the map in the doorway, but has actually had some experience out in the world as themselves and has the the scars and the joys to <laughs> prove it and, sh- and share it with you. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's interesting too, because if a person doesn't have scars, you know, if they're, if they're not revealing the, the messiness of living as yourself, kind of a sign they're not really in it. You know what I mean? But, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to go through those judgments right now, but I, I appreciate that. Before we wrap up, I do have one other thing I'd like to touch on. And Absolutely. I said, if I could get uh, your input on this, I'd love to hear it. Going back to the manifestor strategy of informing, have you seen and experienced as a difference between what might be informing versus telling? Informing being, here's what I'm doing. Here's where I'm going. This is my vision. This is my intent. Versus telling would be kind of more of a directing the other versus saying, here's what I'm doing for myself. And I wonder if that plays into some of the the rejection or the pushback that manifestors can sometimes feel or experience is that person's like, Hey, you know, you know, there's the impact in a, in a way, but maybe it's a di- of a different frequency or it comes across differently than what is kind of put out there as informing in human design. I'm happy to talk about telling and informing. And I, I will say, I remember it was, you know, Marianne that that taught me this difference, you know, some video of Marianne helping me understand the difference between informing and telling. Okay. But she wasn't talking about that in context of manifestors per se. She was just talking about how in human design, we're kind of done telling each other. We don't tell, right. You know, telling is like, my mind is here to put your, my stuff, my stuff from my mind onto your mind. And it doesn't matter who you are. It's it's, I'm just putting it out of my mind onto you. So that's what, that's what telling is from my understanding. Now, informing as the manifestor strategy is only a strategy and it's only a polit- it's not even a real strategy. That's mm-hmm. what I mean to say. It's not a mechanical strategy, right? I, I made a video about this. It's not a mechanical strategy, it's a political strategy. It really comes into play after the manif- after the manifestor has you know decided from authority to do something, and manifestor can pause, maybe if you're a splenic manifestor, that's <laughs> harder. The point of informing as a political strategy is to simply make yourself less unpopular for doing what you're going to do. Tell informing the people who are going to be affected, if you can, let them know that you're coming, you're going to do this thing. So that's really protecting the manifester who's doing the informing. So it's just PR really on that sense. However, I get what you're saying. I, I think your question is about the manifester who assumes that whatever is on her mind needs to go on to into somebody else's mind. That is telling, and any type can do that kind of telling. So it might be that more manifestors do that kind of telling because they can get the floor more easily, right? They can energetically push into the front of the line. Maybe it's because they're like me and they used to raise their hands in class and they had the answer and the teacher said, good job. So, you know, you have this like habit of like, I've got the, I've got it for you. I'm going to give you the information, you know, then you could be a guilt motivated manifester like me and go, oh shit. (laughs) Like before you know that this is part of your wiring, it feels like you got to tell people what to do because they're messing up. You know, like stop doing that wrong thing. Now I am developing awareness 
to stop myself and realize, do I need to tell this person this thing? You know, is this really my role here? And that's very context dependent. To that extent, I think that I am helping myself not tell the way that I used to. I see informing as respect for people that I can offer after I've made a decision, but being splenic, it's hard. Yeah. And telling isn't for anybody in human design. I think it does extend to all types. Mm-hmm. Directors, I mean, we're, we're in the way we're some of the worst, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You totally could be right. I'm not saying that you are right now. I mean, yeah. officially you, the worst. Yes. <laughs> when that projector is invited to speak, then there can, the genius can come out. And if not invited to speak, then, you know, it's maybe, uh, you know, a crapshoot how it's going to be received. So I think similar things apply to the manifester. If a manifestor is correctly in a situation, say that uh, he, he started the dinner party, okay? He invited y'all to the dinner party. He could say what he wants to say, right? I mean, he's, he's invited you into his impact realm and there he is. If he's going to be telling, well, maybe if he's a teller, maybe you don't even want to show up because you don't like him telling, <laughs> you know, but a manifester who is not correctly in a situation, let's say she's in some situation with a, you know, I don't know, maybe a school related situation or something, you know, at the PTA meeting or, you know, at the group of moms that are meeting about, maybe that isn't the place for the manifestor impact because she didn't initiate that meeting. That's a place to be particularly careful, I would say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So to wrap up here, wondering if you can tell us about what you are currently doing, how you are working with people or what, what it is about your work that's lighting you up or powerful for you right now or interesting for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, going into, uh, a different profession. You know, I had this profession before as a lawyer where it was really well known that, okay, I got a certain degree and I have a certain specialty. People make money off that specialty. Okay. So that's one thing. So I'm used to serving people in, in that way that happened in my former life. Now my education with the international human design school goes up to guide level. So I'm a certified guide and I do teach the living your design course. And I've done one section for manifestors, a different one with a mixed group. And now I'm putting out a new one for manifestors and teaching that class was like, I had waited decades to do it. I remember going to college and thinking that college, I was going to meet other people that were like me, you know, like getting out of high school, I'm going to go meet the people that are like me in college, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't like that. But when I had the group of manifestors to teach living your design, I was like, oh, I'm in a class with other people like me. And the fact that I was the teacher almost wasn't even the important part. It was just ah, a particular thing about teaching the manifestors that I loved was I loved hearing them talk to have, you know, maybe four manifestor frequencies into my ears in one morning. It, I looked forward to these mornings and we, we did early Sunday mornings. <laughs> So my next section of Manifestor LYD uh, starts on November 23rd, and it's going to go through the darkest time of the year, and we're going to be done before Rave New Year in January. So I'm looking at this as like, let's go into the dark together and let's come out of the dark together. There's my little special 6-2 twist on (laughs) Manifestor LYD. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Isa. 
My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for letting me start this out with Ra's quote about living your type, because what I could recognize so easily in you is that you are living as projectors, and it was easy for me to communicate to you and initiate meeting you, and it's, it's really affirming for me to have gone through that experience. So to all types, may we all help each other live our type, but first of all, live our own type. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Oh. <laughs> Namaste, amigos. <laughs> All the above. All the good things. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot yeah. of fun. Thanks, John. Yeah, appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. You can find us at humandesigncollective.com and explore our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast is courtesy of Anders Parker. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the same channel.